Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. Great to have you with us. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area north of Baltimore. If you're nearby, come join us. For all the details, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. Good morning. Happy Lord's Day. I'd like to draw your attention this morning to the 11th chapter of Ecclesiastes. Before we get into our text, um, I want to do a little bit of a book review here, because my, my goal for last week and this week was to help us to understand the book of Ecclesiastes, and then hopefully by the end of today, you can go, what was that about? <laughs> but you go, I get it. And then hopefully you can understand how the book of Ecclesiastes was carried on by the person and work of Jesus Christ, and you can see it come to an even greater fulfillment. Um, but a little review here. The book of Ecclesiastes was written by a man named Solomon, who the Bible calls the wisest man who ever lived. And Solomon wrote this book to help the reader learn how a wise and faithful person should think of life under the sun. And so he starts this work off in chapter 1 with the words of the preacher, the son of David, the king of in Jerusalem. Solomon addresses who he is. He is David's son. He is, in the Hebrew, the Koeleth, the shepherd king of Jerusalem, and has written this work for God's people. Then Solomon makes his opening statement. Havel, uh, Havel, Havel, says the preacher. Havel, Havel, all is Havel. That Hebrew word means vapor. Vapor, vapor, says the preacher. Uh, vapor, vapor, all is vapor. And what Solomon means here is that all things to man, all things in your life are transitory. All things to man are a breath, a puff of smoke that can't be grabbed. But then lays out that this is not so for God. This book does not point to the futility, to the meaningless, to the hopelessness that is man's life. It is quite the opposite. This book of faith and wisdom instructs us on how to enjoy and obey God and trust God over and over and over again in the vapors of life. We need to trust God in the things we can control, which is what? everything. <laughs> you all were in sync on that. <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom in this room. Praise God. <laughs> oh. And Solomon takes us a step further. That man can't grab the vapors of life, but God can. And in his loving kindness, he grabs good things and places them in our hands, so to speak, to enjoy them. So while you have good things in your hands, while you have good things that you possess, enjoy them. Enjoy the things that God has gifted and provided you for today while he continues to provide, you, provide them for you. You know what? You all are well enough to be here today. That won't always be so. Enjoy it. Your mind is intelligible enough to understand what I'm saying. May not always be so. Enjoy it. 
And this is what Solomon has been laying out, building a case for in this whole book. And in his wisdom, he structured Ecclesiastes, this book, into four sections. Ecclesiastes is written into four parts. And at the end of each section, he gives a conclusion. And so the first section of Ecclesiastes in chapter 1 and 2, which we read last week, it concluded with, there is, uh, Ecclesiastes 2.24, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat, amen, and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. I know my shirt's screaming as I sat down. The buttons are crying out for help. Uh, this also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given him wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the busyness of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. So Solomon built the case for two chapters that, that all things to men are vapor, are ungrabbable, like a puff of smoke. Can't, you can't grab it. But then says, but what God gives you, and he gives you things, enjoy it. Enjoy food, enjoy drink, enjoy your labors. That was last week's study. Then the second section, spanning from chapters 3 to 5, concludes with, and I'm just going to read it to you, it's chapter 5, verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. Are you seeing it? And to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Solomon, did you see, almost says the same exact thing in his second conclusion. Uh, as the first section, he, he built the case for three chapters that all things to man are havel, are vapor, are transitory, are mist. But then concludes in section two, but what God has given you, enjoy it. That these things that you have are a gift from God to enjoy. Now, fascinatingly, what Solomon adds, there is a little difference. What Solomon adds in his second conclusion that he builds upon the first is that the faithful and the wise, they don't resist the fact that life is vapor, but have come to accept it. And as a result, coming to acceptance of man's inability and God's ability, his sovereignty, that God is on the throne, that we are not, coming to this acceptance fills our hearts with joy. The faithful and the wise learn not to worry about the things that we can't control. And the mature, the, 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 the mature, they learn to enjoy the gifts that we do have while we have them. Then the third section, spanning from chapter 6 to chapter 18, verse 15, ended with verse 15, 8.15. And I command, commanded uh, a joy for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. And the third section was like the first two. Solomon lays out that life is but vapor to man, but concludes by telling us to, again, enjoy what God has provided while he has provided it. 
And this third section concludes by emphasizing and maximizing joy. That living and accepting that God is sovereign and you are not is the path to Christian joy. You want joy? No God is sovereign. Solomon is building the case with each conclusion that the more we come to accept that God is on the throne, that he is sovereign, and stop trying to gain mastery or leverage, uh, the more we stop trying to control the uncontrollable vapors of life, the wise become permeated and saturated with joy and in all that God has provided. And for the third time to enjoy food and drink, Solomon gets it, and the fruit of our works. And food and drink here, you have to understand that that, that there's a a family component to this. Meaning family and feasting. These are key, keys to Solomon about being wise and godly living. He said it three times. I, again, I feel very strongly, not just because I love it, but I feel very strongly that, that, that meals with Christians and family is a key to faithful and wise living, according to Solomon. Jesus, it, you, you look in the Old Testament, the, the father had, had commanded that Israel partook in seven feasts, And you didn't do that by yourself in a room somewhere. Oh, seven times, a perfect amount of time. Gather with people and feast. Gather with people and feast. And here's Solomon three times. Eat and drink with your families. Eat and drink with your brothers and sisters. Now, when we get to Jesus, isn't this certainly his model of ministry? (laughs) He's always eating and drinking. They called him a drunk and a glutton. He was just being wise. That's my excuse anyways. And then the last section starts all the way back in chapter 8, verse 16. And don't worry, we're not going to read all of it. I will spare you. But like the three sections before, Solomon is systematically telling us again that life is vapor to man. Again, He's not telling us over and over and over again that life is useless or vanity or hopelessness. That what he means is, is that life is ungrabbable to man, but is grabbable to God. That you are not on the throne, he is on the throne. Now this brings us to today. And we are going to hop into chapter 11, verse 7. And we're going to march our way to his final conclusion at the end of chapter 12. Before we do that, I need the drink. <laughs> Cheers. Oh, pinky up. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Isn't that awesome? That should be on a coffee cup. And, And notice, Solomon isn't making a suggestion. That's really key here. This isn't a suggestion. Solomon is commanding us to be joyful. (laughs) Be happy now. Be joyful and grateful for the things that you have. This is a command to the wise. And again, one of the themes that Solomon has been building, building, building in this book is that to grow in godly wisdom is to grow in joy. Wisdom equals joy. Now, I want to be balanced and fair. 
This doesn't mean you're going to walk around with a smile all the days of your life. This doesn't mean you're not going to have difficult seasons. But there is an element that you should be growing and maturing in joy the closer you get to God. Now, this may bring up a new issue here. Um, Maybe you're not growing in joy. Maybe this is beyond just a bad season, just year over year, you're not growing in joy. And that may be because you're not growing closer to the Lord. You know, I hear a lot of time, my faith's not what it used to be. And the question becomes, that's not the way it should be. So we must ask ourselves, why? And again, a large sub-theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is to take a step back and observe what you have. You notice constantly in this book, he's taking a step back. He's looking at what he's done. This is what the wise do. You need to take a step back periodically in your life and go, why am I not growing in joy? What is not yielding fruit? What is not being beneficial? Maybe I shouldn't watch three hours of news before bed, which just makes me so angry I can't sleep. Right? Maybe being on my cell phone around my kids all day long isn't good for me or them. We need to take a step back and see where we are maturing and growing closer to the Lord. And a good metric of this is, are you growing in joy? And then make the adjustments. But Solomon is very clear here that the maturing man or woman of faith should be growing in joy. Again, this doesn't mean you're not going to have trials and have downtimes. But but if you want to think of a stock market, you may have squiggles, but you should be moving up. And this joy should be growing in tandem with godly wisdom. Jesus tells us in John 15 that as we obey God's commandments and grow in faith and wisdom, we, John 15, 11, we grow in joy. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Solomon continues as we keep reading in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 8. But let him remember the days of darkness. Let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vapor. Solomon is saying again, enjoy life. Enjoy every day that God provides. And and then next, Solomon is going to get into something that seems very gloomy. He's going to start talking about the the darkness of vapor. (laughs) That there is, is so much pain and evil and darkness in this life under the sun. And that's true, isn't it? Even though we grow joyful, that doesn't mean we're not ignorant that there's a lot of evil. And sometimes a lot of that evil gets dumped on us. And we got to deal with this evil and this sin and this grossness. And what is this? But Solomon's going to build this again to a point that this is not a reason to stop living. This is a reason then to live all the more fully. If you have wealth or health or food or drink or life, enjoy what God has while he has given it to you. And don't fixate and become obsessed, become consumed about the things of life that you can't control. (laughs) Enjoy the days of light while you have them. So verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So be happy while you're young. Now, there's a really bad tendency here to go, you know, to, to, to think 
that chapter 11 and chapter 12 is addressed specifically to young people. That this is for you whippersnappers out there. But Solomon said leading up to this, uh, uh, verse 8, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Solomon just told us essentially that the wise are to stay youthful at heart. Every day, we aren't to grow old. We're to grow uh, rejoicing and joyful in God. So all through the back end of this book, that there comes a time in life to where we are too old. There comes a time in life where we're too tired, too sick, too blind, too deaf, too brittle to enjoy life anymore. And that's that small window of life just before death at the very end. But Solomon is laying out that while you are before that deathbed, stay young. Verse 7 and 8, enjoy every day. Verse 9, keep cheer in your heart. You're to stay young until you die, <laughs> according to Solomon. And when the dark days come, let them remind us that God is ultimately in control. Verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For, you, uh, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Here's a fun note. You don't need to know this, but I think it's great. That word for youth there in the Hebrew means dark hair. What Solomon is saying is that nice, thick, sumptuous, non-gray head of hair of yours, enjoy it because it will not last forever, to which I say amen. And when you get older as a man, it ends up in your ears for some reason. This is a new battle I wasn't looking forward to. Uh, But again, enjoy the good times. Enjoy your vibrancy as long as you have it. Enjoy your health as long as you have it. Even when your hair's young, enjoy it while you have it before it migrates to your back. Enjoy it. (laughs) Enjoy what God has provided and then rest in his sovereignty when the bad times arrive. Stop worrying about what you can't control. Chapter 12. Chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 8, is the last of Solomon's point on uh, Havel, a vapor. And he ends with the last vapor, the, the, the last thing that man has to deal with before we die and meet the Lord, and that's the moments before our death. Verse 1, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the days, uh, before the evil days come and the years draw near to which uh, you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember, Solomon is not saying, this remember that, that Solomon is saying is not in don't forget God. What he's saying is, remember as in live. Live in the knowledge of the the awareness of vapor before the last vapor comes in this life under the sun. You know when some days, and hopefully this is helpful. You know some days you wake up and you're aware that God has forgiven you? And you enjoy those days a heck of a lot more than the days you wake up and you forget. And you feel crummy. And what is this about? He's saying, stay in a state of remembering. 
which all the more reason to stay in our word every morning. Amen. (laughs) And so he's saying, remember, remember God. Uh, And again, this is about maximizing Christian joy and faith and wisdom. Enjoy God and life and his provisions while you can. Verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain in the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. You ever have something wake you up first thing in the morning you can't go back to bed like the sun gets me in the morning and I'm awake I remember being a teenager and I could sleep through a hurricane he's he's talking about you hear a bird chirping up I'm up it's four in the morning let's do it (laughs) they are afraid also of what is high and tears are in the way and almond tree blossoms the grasshopper drags itself along and desires fail. Hate to break it to you, your desires are going to fail because man is going to his eternal home. All of those things you complain about are reminders that God is bringing you home. It's a warning. Get your house in order. And the mourners go about the streets And Solomon, after telling us to enjoy, lays out the reality that we will all be on death's door one day. And is this a reason to stop living? This is all the more reason to live, according to Solomon. Enjoy life while you can, while God has provided it. Then verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Guess what? Your spirit is on loan. (laughs) He's borrowing it to you and he will take it back. Verse 8, vapor of vapors, says the preacher, all is vapors. And there's Solomon's case. He concludes, the, you notice he concludes the exact same way he began. It frames the entire book. He starts off by talking about earth and kids and ends with the days of our death. He starts from our beginning and he systematically works his way till the day that we die. That all of life to mankind is vapor. It's out of our control. That all of life under the sun is transitory, but a puff of smoke. And the wise and the faithful accept this. And then put their trust in the Lord and enjoy what they have in this life under the sun. And now Solomon has said what he needs to say. He's already given us three conclusions. And now he's going to wrap up this whole work and give us his final thoughts. Verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught people, the people knowledge, uh, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher also sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Solomon is saying he, the preacher, has assembled these words of truth with great care. 
Again, this completely kicks against the notion that Solomon is in a rehab somewhere writing these words with his hair wanged out. You know, he just had a six month, he just got a DUI for driving his chariot drunk. You know, he, this is a pastor who has labored over the text to write this with care. This book is not a collection of moral failures, but are well thought through gems of wisdom to maximize the believer's joy in this life. And then verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So notice the words are delightful and they're nails. (laughs) He's instructing us what a good pastor is. A good pastor both delights and goads. You know what a goad is? It's a sharp, pointy stick that pokes a sheep to keep them from falling off of the path and down some cliff somewhere. And a faithful pastor pokes sheep sometimes to keep them from falling off the cliff. So you're welcome. Again, if you find a church that doesn't talk about sin, you have not found a good church. In fact, a pastor that doesn't goad or call out sins or warns is a pastor that speaks without faithfulness or wisdom. And here Solomon is saying he has given us a book, a message to maximize our faith, to maximize our wisdom, to maximize our Christian joy. And sometimes that means he poked at us a little bit. Because who wants to talk about when you're too old to die? But he loves us. And so he pokes. Verse 12. My son... Beware of anything beyond these, or making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. This can mean a few things. Uh, Personally, I I think this is summing up verses 9 through 11, that these words have been assembled with great care and great insight, and that there would be nothing wrong. He doesn't say it's sinful. There would be nothing wrong with assembling more wisdom or adding to this list, but that this wisdom is sufficient to help us with its topic. And if you want to add to it, it will come at a great cost to your health, is what he's saying. So there you go. Verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This book talk is about how to live wise and, and, and a faithful life. And now Solomon tells us to fear God and keep his commands. Paradoxically, the fear of the Lord is the path to life. To respect and revere God. Don't fear those who can kill your body, but fear the one who can cast your body and soul into hell. <laughs> fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning, and what's wisdom, according to the wisest man who ever lived? The path to joy. Fear of the Lord is the path to wisdom. So as we grow in our fear and our knowledge of God, we come to Solomon's conclusion of Havel, of vapor, that man is not in control, but God is. And life is best enjoyed, spent not worrying or trying to control the things that we can't anyways. Now, why do we fear and follow God? In our last verse, verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
Hate to break it to you, you ain't getting away with anything. <laughs> now this last verse is not saying, that this book is not ending by telling you, because this is how a lot of people take this, you better do good or else. Uh, no. Solomon's very last sentence is the wisest and the best conclusion imaginable. If Havel, if vapor, that word that permeates this entire book, if Havel is, means meaningless, then verse 14 makes no sense. How's God going to judge meaninglessness? But if Havel means vapor, that God is in control, then verse 14 is the most glorious ending to this book. Here Solomon closes by saying, in the end, God will judge everything, both known and unknown, both good and evil. And point being, if God is going to ultimately judge everything that we have ever done or will do, then nothing in our lives is ultimately meaningless now, is it? <laughs> nothing in our life is, vapor, is, is vanity now, is it? If it will all be judged, then everything you do in this life matters. Solomon just ended this work by telling us that every square inch of your life holds meaning. And he told you how to live a life of meaning by enjoying God. And Solomon concludes by, the pinnacle, by reaching the pinnacle of wisdom, that, that this is the mindset of every man and woman and child of God, uh, of godly wisdom that we must come to, that we, again, to be redundant on purpose, because Solomon is, that we are not in control, but God is. That is the pinnacle of wisdom. That living life under the sun we are time-bound creatures heading towards the dust and are in a fallen world. And if things make you upset, good. They made Jesus upset too. And this is our lot until we are made new and gathered to God in heaven. Things don't feel right to you? Join the club. You understand. <laughs> so until then, we should enjoy what we can, what God has provided while he provides it. We fear God and know him and walk in his commandments in a life worth living, in a life of faith and wisdom and gratitude and joy. And when it is all said and done, we will be rewarded or punished for the life that we chose. And, and, and this is almost the conclusion here. Did we live accepting that God is on the throne? Or did we live pretending that we were? That is the difference between the wise and the fool. Did we live accepting that God is on the throne or did we live pretending that we were? And that's today's text. One thought. In many ways, this Solomon, this pastor's sermon, that is the book of Ecclesiastes, is a foreshadow of a greater sermon to come. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was the greatest Koheleth, the convener, wasn't he? He was the greatest prophet, priest, pastor, and king. He was the greatest son of David. And the greatest son of David gave an even greater sermon on how to live life under the sun, the Sermon on the Mount. 
Now, in Matthew chapter 6, during Jesus' great sermon, one of the things that Jesus accomplished in that sermon was to take the themes of Ecclesiastes and apply it directly to the church, to Christians, to us within the kingdom of God. So I want to read this section for you. And, and you know, you may want to turn there. That may be helpful. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And hopefully you can hear how alike they are. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, ready, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is telling us to not put all of our efforts into this life under the sun. That it's all paper. Where moth or eater, that word in the Greek for eater, or a rust is just an eater. It could be like a rat, you know, where rats can eat and, and can destroy. Then Jesus talks about wise judgment and light like Ecclesiastes does. And then verse 25, Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Do you see it? Isn't that so cool? Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. It's all a gift anyways. Are you not of more valuable than, or value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? Do you see it? He's telling you how to be wise. Stop pretending you're on the throne. One second of pretending isn't going to add any joy to your life. Verse 28, and why, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon. Ah, <laughs> now we're thinking about Solomon. And all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Havel, it's all vapor. Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, Al. <laughs> Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, at this time, that means the unbeliever seeks after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added, gifted to you. It's a gift, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Loved ones, Jesus and Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, and God are telling me, you, us, the church, our kids, our grandkids, our great-great-great-grandkids, the same things. Stop worrying and being anxious about the things that you can't control. You are not on the throne, but God is. 
And Solomon foreshadowed this, but Jesus shows us with an even greater clarity, and of course, it's fulfillment. What did Jesus bring with him? The kingdom of God. That Jesus was bringing a kingdom into this world and was gifting it to people. And that his kingdom was a kingdom without anxiousness. Jesus is telling us here, clear as day, that if you are a child of God, your heavenly Father knows what you need. Not only do we not need to stress about the things we can't control, we don't even need to stress that God knows about the things we can't control. He already knows what you can't control, which Solomon told us is everything. God knows. You know God sees you? He sees you. He knows, it says, the desires of your heart. He knows your, he knows your finances. He knows your health. He knows your desires. He knows your struggles. He knows. And so very often and daily and hourly and minutely, he provides. You want proof that God has provided? You're here today. This was a series of miracles that got you up today and into church. Even when you didn't want to come, for those of you in here. Oh, I'm sleepy. It's rainy. Get up. Okay, God. This is a gift. But Jesus takes this a step further than Solomon. And prophetically, Solomon said that to add to this wisdom would bring weariness to the flesh. What did this cost Jesus? His life. And at the end of Solomon's sermon in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it it seems almost as if death is the great tragedy of the human experience, isn't it? When you read the 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, you get to the end, and it's almost as if there's one thing Solomon is just like, well, we all got to (laughs) die. Yet the greater Solomon almost finishes the sermon. What did Jesus Christ say with his last words in his earthly ministry, the moment before his death, when he was too weak to eat or enjoy or drink or do anything enjoyable? It is finished. End of sermon. Don't worry, I got it. (laughs) One of the reasons Jesus so confidently tells us not to be anxious is because Jesus had come into the world a world of anxiety to provide peace. Loved ones, the greatest need of humanity, and this is important for us to understand, the greatest need of humanity is not health care. The greatest need of humanity is not banking or education. The greatest need of humanity is that we are sinners before a holy and just God. We cannot, Romans 6, 23, pay for the wages of our own sin. But Jesus declared what? It is finished. From birth to death, Jesus had come and accomplished in providing for his people. Now Solomon taps into this in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, I think Paul wrote it and he was really excited when he wrote it. I just get that sense. Ephesians 2.13, I'm just going to read it. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of, of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Through faith in Jesus, God not only provided for our earthly needs, but has provided his very own son to meet our greatest need. The one thing Solomon seemed to be kind of queasy about, sin and death. Verse Paul goes on to say, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and reconciling us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus killed your hostility. Isn't that awesome? And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both access and one spirit to the Father. Jesus, the preacher, preached peace. And he provided peace. Peace with God. A life and an eternity of peace with God. And here's what I think the New Testament adds to the book of Ecclesiastes. That the greatest Havel, the greatest vapor in this life under the sun, is our justification before God. That man with all of his mind and with all of his intellect and all of his toying, toiling, it's all vapor to us. It's beyond our control. It's ungrabbable. You will never be holy enough to stand before a holy God by yourself. You will never be righteous enough within yourself to stand spotless before God Almighty. The entire Old Testament, the garden proves this. We were perfect and failed. (laughs) The patriarchs prove this. We were a mess. The 316 laws of 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 the Mosaic law prove this. We couldn't fulfill the law. And then the kings and the priests and the kingdoms and the prophets, all of it shows that man could not justify himself. But God, being rich in mercy, provided peace and made us alive. And he raised us up, it says, and seated us in heavenly places. Paul, again, the the, the rewind Ephesians 2 in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift. Not a result of works. You can't grab it. You can't, it's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. You can't grab salvation. You can't earn salvation. It is missed to man in his own efforts. This is the greatest mist. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace. As we close, Jesus provided for our greatest havel. Our salvation, our justification, our eternal peace with the Father. That the New Testament shows us so plainly that the greatest vapor, the greatest need in your life, in this life under the sun, is for man to justify himself. We can't do it. But Jesus came and he lived. And he died and he gave us the gift of adoption to all who believe. And as Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek his face. So I want to say this. If you're not a believer in here, 
You're not heaven bound, but you'd like to be. You want to receive this gift of peace? That sounds great. (laughs) What I would encourage you is come and talk to me or somebody today. Let's chat about it. And if I give a brief word here. And we, we talked about this at the Bible study on Monday that I ran in Harford County every two weeks. Uh, <clears throat> salvation is not, I prayed a prayer, I'm done. <clears throat> salvation is coming to Christ and walking with him, living with him. Jesus says to come to him is like dying. You need to die today if you want salvation. And you need to be John 3, born again. And that means when you leave here, if this is you, you are leaving a totally new person. And those things that are not wise and faithful in helping you, they must be killed today. And you must walk with him in the newness of life, it says. Now, if you are a believer, how do we respond to this? What is the proper response to the gift of our justification and salvation to Jesus Christ? Right? Like, what do you do? Hey, I provided everything for you, and I'm going to make sure you're in heaven forever, eternally happy. How do we respond to that? Because anything we give to God, he gave us anyways. What do, how do we respond to him handling and, and handling the greatest vapor to us, our own salvation? What do we do? How do we respond? And the simple answer, according to Solomon, say thank you and enjoy it. Enjoy the gifts and the gift giver. While you can in this life under the sun. And what Jesus shows us so very plainly is that when we get to that moment where we die and we pass on and we step into glory, that enjoyment does not cease. It is then maximized and and goes on forever and ever and ever. Let me ask you a question. We get up into heaven. Do you think we're going to diminish in wisdom or grow in it? You are going to get happier and more joyful every day for the rest of eternity. That is why Jesus tells us, do not be anxious. I got this. (laughs) Enjoy the gift and the gift giver. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism rightly says, and don't worry, you're not in a Presbyterian church, but as the the Westminster Shorter Catechism, I think so rightly says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Amen? Let's uh, let's close in prayer. God, we... We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you have provided. We thank you for the good things that we have. We thank you for the things that we have not. Because you have provided exactly what we need. And so we thank you. Help us to be more content in what we have. And God, the things that you have placed in our hands, the things that you have gifted us, help us to mature into wisdom and faith and to enjoy them. God, when we leave here today, let us leave rejoicing in in 
our salvation and, and in your provisions, God. Help us to be wise in this for your glory. God, we pray that anyone who needs prayer, we have people to pray with by the side door. Let, let us go and pray. If anyone feels like they need to be born again or need, needs to rededicate, let them find someone to talk to today. And God, help us again to, to be wise. In Jesus' name, we pray these things and all who agreed said, amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary Baltimore. Please keep in touch. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. Finally, if you're unable to come see us in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast.